world where mysteries still exist. Come into the room. I'm sure you've noticed the bookshelves filled with books. Some are old favorites, and some are unusual and mysterious. I'm sure you've noticed the polished wood, the leather furniture, the plush rugs. You've undoubtedly noticed the smell of smoke, of tobacco and leather. Pull up a chair next to the fireplace. Pour yourself a drink. I have a fully stocked bar with all of your favorites. Sit down and let's chat a while in the all new study. So consider how you could use numbers to create a routine. You could certainly use the number 13 as the basis for a routine, incorporating any of the things we just discussed about with the history of the number. But you could also use different numbers for the creation of routines. One of them I do want to bring up was at East Coast Spirit Sessions. I saw a part of a show that was done by Aaron Sherman. And if you're not familiar with Aaron Sherman, you can look him up. Um, a lot of the stuff that Aaron does is for kids, but he also puts on quite a good bizarre show. And he did one that was all based around the 27 Club. And if you're not familiar with the 27 Club, that's a list that's mostly musicians, artists, actors who all died at the age of 27. It's actually pretty interesting how many people that were really big within the world of, of music and art died at that age. Um, you know, just to name a few, you have Brian Jones, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, uh, Kurt Cobain was one of those who died at 27. So there are quite a number of them. Um, and it goes on even now. Amy Winehouse was one of the most recent ones who died um, at the age of 27 as well. So I don't want to get too far off into that. I just thought that that was a super interesting premise for a show. And while I was familiar with the 27 Club, I can't claim that. I was nearly familiar with it as Aaron was. So I found that refreshing and different and a new approach to a Bizarre Magic show. So thinking outside of the box and looking at things that interest you outside of the world of magic are really good ways to come up with routines and ideas for shows. I think one of the things that creates issues within the world of Bizarre Magic and Bizarre shows are that often you get themes that are repeated over and over and over. And I understand that to a certain extent, I'm within that world of bizarre magic. And while I see the same themes over and over and over, they're not necessarily themes that the general public sees over and over and over because most people in the general public have never seen a bizarre magic show. And if they do, it's not very likely that they're going to see more unless they happen to be somewhere where they can catch a lot of them or they're very devoted to the genre. I understand that using themes that are in the public consciousness, such as Jack the Ripper or the Titanic or Victorian seance are all things that appeal to people because it's something they're already familiar with. But I like the idea of approaching shows with 
things that they can relate to maybe within their own lifetime. What I liked about that 27 Club show in particular is that it reminded me of, of my bizarre magic. I'm sorry, not bizarre magic. That's most of what I do. My heavy metal seance show. That was based on the things that I loved when I was a kid, being heavy metal and, and the whole satanic panic thing. So I feel like a lot of people that come to the show can personally relate to that because they lived through it. It's no different with the 27 Club. Most of those people who would see that are familiar with at least some, if not all, of the people who died at age 27. So I feel like it appeals to, to people because it's something that they've experienced personally. It's something they're familiar with within their lifetime. So I feel like I might have wandered a little far afield, but half of the podcast are just my thoughts on Bizarre Magic. So I'd encourage you to look at different things that can inspire you to create pieces. And maybe that's the thing to start with is the number 13. In fact, as I'm saying this, I think that's going to be our competition for this month. We'll get back to that a little bit later. Well, well, we're on our 13th episode. I think considering that it's the 13th episode, I have to talk about what the number means. Is it lucky? Is it unlucky? There's a lot of weird beliefs surrounding the number 13. Now, of course, those of us in the bizarre world probably readily embrace the number 13. But I did a little bit of research into it to see what all traditions embrace it. And there were some things that I found that were really interesting and a few things I discovered somewhat on my own. And when you look at the different folklore across the world, surprisingly, the number 13 features in a lot of different cultures all over. Now, there's a common theory for that, and then it's that 13, it, it came out of lunar solar calendars. There are 12.41 lunations per solar year, and hence 12 true months, but a smaller and often portentous 13th month. So perhaps that's where the idea of 13 comes from, where it's a kind of an ominous or scary thing. Now, one of the interesting things I found is that in all Germanic languages, English being a Germanic language, 13 is the first compound number. In other words, if you think about the numbers 11 and 12, they have their own names. It's 11, 12, but then you have 13, 14, 15. So it's the first compound number and not coincidentally, I'm sure, often the age at which a boy was considered to become a man. Now, there are some different religious aspects of 13, too. The apparitions of the Virgin of Fatima in 1917 were claimed to occur on the 13th day of six consecutive months. So for six months on the 13th, the Virgin of Fatima would appear. In Catholic devotional practice, the number 13 is associated with St. Anthony of Padua since his feast day falls on June 13th. Of course, I'm sure most of you are aware in Judaism, 13 signifies the age at which a boy matures and becomes a bar mitzvah. So another culture in which 13 matters and a boy becomes a man. Now, if you guys remember back to 2012, I know it's such a long way back now, but if you remember back to 2012, that was the year that according to the Mayan calendar, the world was going to end. And that's because there was the 13th Bactun. That was, that was the end of the calendar. That was as far as it went. And interesting that it was also 13 that marked the end of the world. Now, the fear of the number 13 
actually has a name. It's a phobia. It's called Triskaidekaphobia. And that was a word that was first coined in 1911. And, of course, anyone who's afraid of 13 tries to avoid it. They try to stay away from the number 13. They consider it bad luck. And it's really interesting how pervasive that is in culture, because I'm sure most of you are aware that there are a lot of companies that avoid using numbering or labeling with 13 on it, with hotels and buildings being the most conspicuous examples. Now, obviously, that's not the same across the board. Many hotels and buildings do have a 13th floor but some of them don't. It's also considered unlucky to have 13 people at a table. If you're a seance worker or have read anything about it, I'm sure that's not a surprise to you. And of course, Friday the 13th, the whole string of horror movies, so the 13th must be a horribly unlucky day. Now, there are a few theories as to why 13 is such a bad number, such a bad luck number. And the first you probably heard as well, but it has to do with the Last Supper. At Jesus Christ's Last Supper, there were 13 people around the table, if you count Jesus and his 12 apostles. So Judas Iscariot being the 13th, he was the betrayer of Jesus Christ. And so it's unlucky now to have 13 people at the table and the number 13 is unlucky. Now, it can go back uh, quite a ways with its tie-in with religion. There's also a story about the Knights Templar, because on Friday the 13th in 1307, King Philip IV of France ordered the arrest of the Knights Templar, and most of them were tortured and killed. If you work in this realm, which I'm assuming you do since you're listening to this podcast, then you're probably familiar with a lot of the Knights Templar and the stories behind them. Some saying that they were devil worshippers or that they had made pacts with Satan. Some claim that they hid the Holy Grail or that they had the treasure of Christ. All interesting theories about the Knights Templar. And if you haven't read about that, just a quick tangent. I would recommend you read a book called Holy Blood, Holy Grail. It's all about the Knights Templar, and it's a theory on what it was that they held and what the the Holy Grail itself actually was. I don't want to give it away, but I highly recommend that book. I find it really, really interesting. So the next reason for why it could be unlucky is, of course, full moons. A year that has 13 full moons instead of 12 created problems for monks in charge of the calendars. It's harder to track everything because unfortunately our lunar years are not as perfect as we would like them to be. Time doesn't really matter to the universe, just to man. Now there's also this interesting theory that I really enjoy that there's a lunar cult. So in ancient cultures, the number 13 represented femininity because it corresponded to the number of menstrual cycles in a year. 13 times 28 equals 364 days. And so once the solar calendar triumphed, that 13 was now seen as a negative number. So there's some interesting theories and there are correlations with the number 13 and some things that we care about within our world. For instance, have you ever considered that in a standard 52 card deck of playing cards, there are four suits, but each of those suits have 13 ranks. So the number applies in playing cards. Now, of course, as bizarrest, we're probably more inclined to use tarot cards. And I'm sure you know that the 13th card is the card of death. So one that would the general public would consider pretty negative. But um, the United States itself, though, 13 
has a meaning. Have you ever considered that there were 13 original British colonies? So the 13 occurs commonly in heraldry in America. For instance, there are 13 stars on the seal of the United States, and there are 13 stripes on the American flag. All interesting stuff. Now in the tattoo world, it's a little different because the number 13 isn't considered something negative at all. In fact, many people in the countercultural culture and tattoo world embrace the number 13 as a lucky number. Often tattoo shops will hold events on Friday the 13th where you can get cheap tattoos, sometimes for as little as $13. And in fact, at East Coast Spirit Sessions, which is one of my favorite things I do all year long, Bizarre Magic Convention, if you're not familiar with it, me and two friends went to a tattoo shop and I got my Friday the 13th tattoo on Friday the 13th, of course, while I was at a Bizarre Magic Convention. I don't think you could have a better time ever to get a 13 tattoo. One other thing I want to point out, the 13th letter of the alphabet is M, and I think M stands for magic. So that's why I think the number 13 is good luck. I'm very lucky to get the opportunity to go to a lot of conventions. And when I'm there, I get to meet so many people. And after you go to the same conventions enough times, some of these people you meet become your friends. And after you meet them long enough, they become really close friends. And I got to interview a guy that I just love. His name is Joe Daniels. Joe is one of the nicest, most kind-hearted, just open Southern gentlemen you'll ever meet. But I wanted to talk to him a little bit about how he got into Bizarre Magic, his entry into that, and how he started his show. He's had a regular show for many years now. And I'm always interested in those performers who have long-running shows, how they got them started, and how they ended up where they are today. So all of that's in the interview. And without further ado, let's get into that interview with Joe Daniels. So I'm sitting here at Bizarre Hauntings with Joseph Daniels. I appreciate you being with me, Joseph. I just uh, have a few questions I want to ask you, kind of give people some of your approach. I'd like you to start by telling a little bit about your background and how you got into the Bizarre world. Well, that's a funny story. Uh, in college, I really became exposed to mentalism for the first time. My mentor was George Vaughn, who performed a Scorpio. and. He was a hypnotist and a mentalist. He was he was a licensed hypnotist and he also did stage hypnosis, which is vastly different. And we went round and round about how mentalism had greater credibility and uh, that people perceived it as being real. And the reason I didn't want to approach mentalism as a full-time gig was because I thought all the interesting effects you weren't you weren't really getting in mentalism because it's essentially think of a thing let me write it down is this the thing you're thinking of and after a while unless you're really dynamic th that kind of loses its appeal and I wanted animations and levitations and things like that and he, he's like I just don't see how you could approach that and I came up with this notion that well what if, what if it was happening supernaturally? What if ghosts were doing this? And I thought I had invented a genre. I, I didn't know anything at the time about Charles Cameron or, or Tony Andrewsy. And uh, so George sat me down and he's like, okay, 
this this was a thing before you were born and let me turn you on to a few people and that's that's where I found wonderful sources like Eugene Berger who clearly was already doing this stuff and had had even moved on at that point to other things and I, that's how I kind of ended up in, unintentionally thinking I had invented bizarre magic and uh, it's been a real education for me meeting some of my heroes and, and really learning about the genre. So talk a little bit about the Dark Cabaret, how that idea came about, how you developed the show. The slowest means possible. Um, I had a legitimate background in the paranormal. My family was haunted. Uh, the prayer from ghosties and ghoulies and long-leggedy beasties and things that go bump in the night, dear Lord, deliver us, actually originated with my Scottish clan. So I thought, okay, I've, I've got legitimate things I can bring to this. And I had a friend whose mother was the best teller of, of tales of the supernatural I'd ever heard. And um, we both said, well, we should try and incorporate that into our shows. And he worked on his for about six months and then premiered it. And it, it was okay. It wasn't great. There were problems with it, but he started working those out. But me, no, I, I had to have all original material and I was going to write the perfect scripts and just really attack this thing and eventually I would have the perfect show. And so I worked on what would become the Dark Cabaret for about 20 years. And it was never quite ready, never quite ready, and then finally I was presented with a venue opportunity and uh, he said, well how long would it take for you to get the show together? And I, I freaked out and I went, well probably about a year. He's like, you have, th you have three months. And suddenly I learned one of my flaws as a creator is what I really need more than anything is a deadline. And so after 20 years of diligent study and, and writing and rewriting scripts and creating original material, we opened and it still was not very good. And so Daryl, six months, he launched the show and then it took me 20 years and I had the same experience. It still wasn't good because ultimately you have to have the audience before you know what you have and can start really adapting it. And the Dark Cabaret has been running pretty much continuously in that same venue for the last seven years. And we're based out of Columbia, South Carolina. So tell me about how you came across the venue, because for Bizarre Magicians, that's always an issue. Where can I do my show? How did, how did that happen? Uh, that was divine providence. Uh, I met with a, a small group of magicians, one of whom was arguably pretty pretentious, and uh, the other two members of his little group really liked the stuff that I was doing, and uh, no but he said, should we let him be a member? And uh, I thought, wow, I, I didn't realize I was auditioning, and I, I'm like, look, I don't want you guys to feel I'm, I'm sort of here and putting you on the spot. I'm going to load my car. And so I went out to load my car, and they came running after me, and they're like, look, we want to meet with you privately. And um, then uh, one of those two was actually really good friends with a semi-retired Broadway scenic designer who had a lakeside retreat there in Columbia and loved magic. And um, I had heard about him for years, but it's, it's not the sort of guy you can just phone up and say, hey, let's hang out. So. Um, 
I was like, well, I'd love to meet him. And he said, okay, let's have dinner Thursday night. And I went, well, don't you need to call him? He went, well, no, I'm, I'm actually living at his house. I, we'll just, we'll have you in for dinner. And could not have been nicer. His name's Christian Fee. That's T-H-E-E. And uh, he had done so much stuff in, in theater and in film and just exceptionally talented fella. And uh, we really hit it off. And from that night on, um, we, we hung out and we worked and developed. And by the end of the evening, he's like, I'm sold on this dark cabaret thing. We got to do this, but you know, I'm not getting any younger. And that's, that's really how it's continued. You know, he, he gets paid a percentage of the gate and uh, we've brought in and out guest performers and uh, it's a progressive evening where we do about three hours and we do a tour of the house and this uh, little bit of wine and some dessert and uh, a whole host of amazing performers and I round out the evening with the Dark Cabaret at the end. So if people were to come to the Dark Cabaret, of course this is whole podcast is for Bizarre Magicians, so I'm not asking you to give anything away, but also it's not a lay audience. What would they see? What would they expect? You don't have to name specific effects, but like as a whole, what would people experience? Well, this is an evening that was specifically crafted for a wealthy audience that would never go to a magic show. So we've never used the words magic or illusion to promote, and we don't shy away from it. I think by the end of the evening, most reasonably intelligent people are clear on, oh, well that was surprisingly literate and, and intelligent and very moving, which is not at all what a lot of muggles' preconceived notion of a magic show is. And um, it was a hard sell at first because we, we hadn't learned how to really define this mystery experience. But if you came there, you would be immediately introduced to Christian's art. And Christian is one of the world's foremost trompe painters. So everything in the house, there are these wonderful things that are done in perspective and, and artifacts that appear to be there that are actually flat painted on the wall. And uh, the house is honeycombed with secret doors. Just for real quick, for those who don't know, define trompe Oh, I'm sorry. It's, it means to deceive the eye in French. And uh, it truly does that. It's, it's what scenic designers use to create a, a scenic background that seems to have depth. And uh, it's a forced perspective. And a lot of his house is based around that. And I'm really glad you, you asked that question. Yeah, I've got an art background, so obviously I know. But without that, a lot of people don't know. So thank you for defining that. So uh, one other question. What I really want to tailor the podcast both to new people in Bazaar, but also experienced performers. What has been your most effective marketing method? What has worked the best for selling tickets? Well, as we're a venue show, for the first three years at least, it was primarily word of mouth and it was locally attended, but uh, increasingly we've, we've done more and more social media marketing and uh, it's been really hard because as a bizarre magician I, I write these elaborate scripts and making yourself concise enough for Twitter is kind of tough for me but we, we have people that are better suited for it and uh, really we've learned you just have to spend a little bit of money to make any money uh, and you, you have to be aware of where your investments lie and top-notch professional photography and editing 
and uh, those those are a huge key. We're in the middle of revamping the website, which is um, admittedly has been the least important part of the operation, but we're going to be blogging and vlogging, and we already do a substantial amount of that through Instagram, and uh, honestly, people are finding us because we network more and more, not just with magicians, but with performers of all kinds, artists of all kinds. Uh, We really have been embraced by the artistic fringe because we've embraced them, and we'll bring in belly dancers and burlesque performers to be part of our progressive evening, and they in turn have turned us on to wonderful venues while we've been touring and and amazing experiences where we would normally book into a hotel they're like no you you need to stay with so and so and and you end up in this amazing mansion or uh, there's a tavern you never would have discovered that you had just the most amazing dining experience of your life you know and uh, honestly networking with other performers and other professionals within the entertainment industry has been the big key I appreciate that. And so I appreciate your time, too, talking to me. And if people want to learn more about you and what you do, where should they go? What should they look at? Uh, Columbia, South Carolina Arts and Entertainment on Facebook. It is The Dark Cabaret. And uh, we're currently revamping the site, so I don't even know if it's up. But uh, they can also find us at thedarkcabaret.com. All right. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you. Thank you, Paul. All right. So, back to this contest this month. How about we do one based on numbers? It can be the number 13. It can be any other number. But let's do a routine based on numbers. The prize this month is going to be a copy of Death in the Family. That was done by Alchemy Moon. If you're not aware, for a while, me and Chris Gould were working together. And my girlfriend was moving in and I needed to clean out my garage. And as I did so, I came across one more set of death in the family. So I'm willing to give that up as a prize. That's a pretty good prize, I think. And it involves numbers and in particular, the number 13 that has something to do with it. And so um, it seems like a good prize. All you have to do again is submit your routine to paul at paulprater.com and whichever one is the best routine, according to me, wins the prize and I'll ship it out to you. So send those in. Now, here's the other thing. Please do submit an entry of some routine that has to do with numbers because I'm going to put together all the routines and they'll be available as a PDF. So even if you don't win, well, you'll get a PDF with everyone's routines. That alone is a prize in and of itself. I would love to see what kind of creative stuff you guys come up with. I'm really excited about it. So get those in and maybe you'll win. I'm going to suggest a book to you that you can't find on the primary market, only on the secondary market. Now, it's rare that I actually do this. I'd like to be able to point you to the place where you can find the book. It's often frustrating to hear about a book and then not be able to go get it. Uh, In this case, though, I feel like the book is important enough that it should be in the collection of any serious, bizarre performer. 
And that book is Phasmology by Professor BC. Now, the fact that it's by Professor BC gives you reason enough to buy the book. But then when you look through the table of contents and the things that are in the book, it's readily apparent how valuable it actually is. He spends about a third of the book talking about theory of bizarre performance. He talks about uh, the moment of magic and talks about patter tricks versus story magic and the psychology of paratheatrical routines. Now, Professor BC obviously is, is well-spoken. He's a strong proponent of bizarre magic, so anything that you can learn from him is well worth learning. For those of us who perform, though, he also breaks down one of his acts. It's the Curious Cabinet of St. John Abbott. I was lucky enough to see Professor BC perform that act a few years ago at East Coast Spirit Sessions, and he covers the routines in here, but also has them kind of uh, divided up into sidebars on mastering your craft and developing your persona and unlocking your performance potential. But he also has the instructions for some of his marketed effects, such as the Haunted Ends of England and his Victorian toe tags. And I think that being able to read how he constructs his act is very, very helpful. I know if you don't build props, you might look at that and go, well, uh, that's all great, but without the props, I can't do the routine. But you can learn a lot from seeing how things are structured and how things are built. So that is one that I would recommend you take a look at. Now, if you're not familiar with Professor BC, that's a shame. You really should uh, become familiar with him. His stuff is, is excellent. And you can get some of his stuff through Gemini Artifacts. That's Vic Nadata's company. Or you can also get some of his stuff through Lebanon Circle. And that's Dan Bain's company. So check that stuff out. See if you can find that book on the secondary market. I think you'll find that it'll be well worth your time in reading that. Well, that wraps up our show for this month. I hope you enjoyed it. If you would, consider dropping me a dollar or two. It takes time and effort and money to produce podcasts, and I would appreciate it if um, you'd be willing to give back just a little bit. And if not, that's perfectly fine. I understand as well. Perhaps you would like to get some value out of your money. In that case, I would be really happy if you went to paulprater.com and took a look at some of the props and books that I have for sale. You can buy something there and that helps support this podcast as well. Now, one of the things that I want to do is invite you to send in suggestions, ideas, comments, feedback, and through the Anchor app itself, you can actually leave a voice message and we would love that. I would love to hear a voice message from you and I'll probably put that right into a podcast. So feel free to give us some feedback and let us know what you want to hear in the future. Again, I can be reached at paul at paulprater.com. Thank you, and I look forward to talking to you next month.